0: MTV News was forced to get off of main base we thought it was too dangerous. They
1: said too many people are getting
2: hurt. There were ten people that were taken off site.
1: A lot of people have been talking about these
2: fires, but it was so much more than that. Podcast
1: 99. Welcome back to Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Licton. I'm here with Parks Miller, and today we're joined by my good friend Adam Papagan. Hello, Adam.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Yes, you are welcome. You might know Adam from uh, Cool LA Tours. He is a a, a pop culture anthropologist, basically, uh, a... uh an expert in all things kind of fringe, kind of like what we do here at, at, at Culture Dumps. And also, he has the ASMR talk show, which you can hear as a podcast and also watch on YouTube. I've been a guest a few times. Uh, he has a lot of interesting people on there. And he is a perfect guest for Podcast 99 because you've kind of been in the orbit of this project since it started. Um
2: yeah, just hearing about it a lot. And as, as something I'm not really interested in at all, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I mean, you guys do a good job covering it and and obviously have found the interesting aspects of it. Yeah. Right? Well, but you
3: have really picked like some real winners to for today's show.
2: Yeah, yeah, to Adam, be not interested I I gave, in. I gave you choices and this is what you chose. Yeah. Well, the fringe, like you said. I I'm of, you know, of what's on there, I'm going to pick the weirdest stuff.
1: Right, yes. And uh that is definitely uh included in today's was
2: there any uh outsider musicians uh, playing did anything uh i mean there's stuff that's definitely wesley willis didn't play right yeah no no you didn't have any like Dave
1: lebar wesley Mm -hmm. willis's you didn't have yeah i mean i
2: guess in the late 90s there weren't really novelty tom green was the closest thing to like a novelty. well oh well i I guess the the
3: umbilical brothers
2: well
1: and i guess you could say andy dick's performance during spitfire with his band the bitches of the 21st century okay could be in that yeah okay that, that, that right. category, but uh, today's episode and now this is the second part of our of our day three coverage. We're creeping along to the end of the festival here, the inevitable meltdown. But uh, none of that stuff is really going to be happening today. We do have some goofy gems for you. But today's episode is really for like the cool dads. There's going to be a lot of music here that's. Uh, Stuff that a, a cool dad would like, or maybe a dad that has uh, more tattoos than the other dads, but it's a it, this is one for the dads nonetheless,
3: right? So, if you went to Woodstock and saw these bands, and maybe you're a dad now, you can listen to our episode and maybe get some tips on how to be a cool dad.
1: A cool dad, so we're going to start now on the west stage, it's about one o'clock in the afternoon here. This is the the opening act, of course, we, we had we had Spitfire, uh, you know, on, on before them, but we don't count that. Uh, and we have Mike Ness of Social Distortion fame performing as a solo act. Right. So Social
3: Distortion, I mean, given the lineup, that could be something closer to... I mean, there's no real, like, just to go back to what you are saying, there's no real, like, outsider artist. So, I mean, something like Social Distortion is what you would get as, like, a cult. You... Like, they're, they're, like, kind of a they're a big band they have a they have a really big underground following without having ever really been like a complete mainstream act with hits they're, on the radio
2: they might be one of the worst bands of all time yeah they're i'm <laughs> the skeleton with the martini and the hat but that's and classic the cigar. they but are very cigarette.
3: i'll have to say that they're very influential to a lot of punk subcultures is the best way yeah. we can put that things that maybe you're well, it's not dad
1: core it's like it's like right. it's things... like you know like them like Pennywise, like these bands where it's like the dad at the market is wearing the social d-shirt right you know what i mean like you'll see the sticker on the back of fucking hundreds of cars in your lifetime and might not right. even realize it. you kind of just blur it out after a certain point you've definitely seen someone wearing a t-shirt if you live in america mm-hmm. uh you know you've definitely seen a social distortion t-shirt at some point right they're one of those bands yeah it's a cult following act and this was him breaking away from the band to do the solo thing that he ventured out to do yeah
3: so they so they started in california in 1978 so pretty close to the original you know generation of punk bands uh they gained some notoriety in the 80s though their career was kind of uh halted because he had a pretty bad heroin addiction.
1: Ah. And
3: so they released like one album and then they w- they waited like five years in order for him to get clean. He like went to rehab and got clean. Uh, so that's kind of like a big part of like his message, I would say, at Woodstock is like being clean. Um, I did find one. Interesting thing, the uh, original drummer of Social Distortion is David Hidalgo Jr., who is son of David Hidalgo, the singer and guitar player of Los Lobos.
1: Ah. So that's
3: just like a tiny little, like, Woodstock trivia thing in there. Um, but basically, to get to the, dad whole, the whole dad thing, it's like at some point in the late 80s, early 90s, they, you could say that they're like one of these influential bands in the subgenre of like cowpunk.
2: I've seen Social Distortion so, live two or three times. Right, so this oh, is wow. why this yeah. is part of what
3: why you're here, right? Is yeah, you're, you're like you've seen some of these bands. Oh so. yeah, I've So seen, what was it yeah. like?
2: Um, so it was at a, a radio festival. This yeah. was in, um, gosh, I must have been in the seventh. About two thousand one, probably K Rock mm-hmm. put on, and they had actually some. At least regionally, some hits on the radio. Yeah, on K-Rock. They, they they definitely were Ball, on MTV. Ball, Ball and Chain and Story of My Life. And of My Life. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and a cover of Ring of Fire. They're all yeah. on the same record. Right, two of which will be performed during right. this set. And um, and so you know, it was a very, uh, it was an easy crowd to win over. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. there and it was cool i guess i don't know i was like 12 so i i didn't right. know up from down and then i maybe saw them at the um house of blues they did this residency in like 2005 and six and seven maybe where mm-hmm. they played like 15 shows at each house of blues the oc one and the one up here in hollywood all sold out yeah it's big the oc dad dad core i guess yes oh definitely and and suburban and and, you
1: know speaking of dad bands like i would argue that the offspring is in that category too kind of watered
2: down music
1: yeah and and but alternative (laughs) watered down music (laughs) well the offspring you know they started their band after they went to a social distortion show and were like let's be in a band so it's like they're they're, the roots here at woodstock 99 go deep and didn't didn't also have something to do with uh, the other band we're talking about. But did you have a oh, Brian Setzer? Oh, uh, there's a, there,
3: yeah. So on his debut album, "Cheating at Solitaire," uh, Brian Setzer played guitar on one of the songs. Ah, oh, okay. Um, so yeah basically so cheating at solitary you got this cards you the card game imagery so that's like a big that kind of oh,
1: dice card the dice the cards, yeah.
3: hot rod so i was reading how he actually Chiris. i think Chiris. he started like his own like hot rod either like refitting business or just like his own garage or something so you know it says in his interests, he loves hot rods bikes <laughs> and, cat and kittens um, right so that's yeah, yeah but then he's also he was in this like punk band from the 70s so it totally gives that the cool dad thing. Right, and you would see, like,
1: a, a really bootleg version of that in Lit. Like, where Lit right. is like, we're hot oh, rod right. guys, we're zebra stripe, cheetah print, you know, creepers guys. Yeah. Well, but they're, like, taking a cue from the dudes that, like, started that but, shit. But
3: Ness Mike, Ness, Mike Ness is sober and Lit. That's their whole, they're not sober. Right. They're, they're, they're not singing. They're, they're their they're own worst about, enemies. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and they make themselves completely miserable. So,
3: I mean, so he is, again, I mean, yeah, particu- not particularly, like, a remarkable Set, he does what he does well, you know, but it's not something that's, that jumps out
2: at me. I believe Social Distortion is in one of the, another state of mind. The uh, punk documentary, there's a bunch of these like punk documentaries that are real similar to The Decline of Western Civilization, right? I think it's another state of mind. And he like quits the tour or something like that. Does this sound ring a bell? I'm sure some no. listener this will perk up. Yeah, I'm not check sure it I'm out. Not. Yeah, but Mike Dennis was kind of a diva. This is when he was like real young, probably pre heroin addiction. And he mm-hmm. like dropped they quit the tour. there's there's something I don't know. He seems not really caught out cut out for the rock star lifestyle. <laughs> I can see why this band is, you know, not really broken through in a mainstream kind of mm-hmm. way, right. Yeah. but, but again, he's been very successful. You know, he's fixing yeah. cars. He's playing at Woodstock. yeah, no, that? he's
3: he's doing it's the it's a big a really big underground is the best. So that to the point where it is ubiquitous, especially in certain places, it would seem almost like they're a mainstream band. I per- personally in Georgia and Atlanta it's I don't see the social distortion, you know, influence or the imagery too much, but I'm sure there's these pockets. I I'm, see it in, in so- I'm, I'm, yeah, here. I'm sure it's in Southern so California yeah. you're going to yeah. get it a lot. But yeah, so basically he he released uh two solo albums in 99 and uh I think those were his only ones that they almost seem like companion pieces where one is like him a bunch of original kind of rockabilly cowpunk songs and then ones just totally covers. So it's kinda of like he's touching on this outlaw imagery. Right. Which is something um, that a
1: lot of like older punk rockers will get into. Right. Like like once you're kinda of sick of like wearing, you know, jackets covered in pins and studs, you, you just switch to like this cowboy thing.
3: Right. And you can still kinda of play fast and play three chords and talk about, you know, being a bad guy or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, being a bad guy. <laughs> just being a bad. But so it's like he's not he's not really put in the timeline of these mega trends like new metal that was happening in ninety nine, but he certainly was it it is part of a thing in terms of yeah, having that punk guy you know mellow out do the cowboy thing so it it is like right. a much i would say like a more nuanced late 90s thing right that's yeah going but
1: on. but it was definitely it was definitely there not to, you know it doesn't hold a candle to the other Big late 90s uh, subculture that we're going to get into later in the episode. But anyway,s let's get into the set now. So the pay-per-view feed, it starts with a close-up of this really gnarly hippie with huge long dreads. He looks like he's 100 years old, and he's carrying around a didgeridoo. And my question is, how did he get a didgeridoo in? But then you look at the footage of the security checks, and, like, they probably did like he could have snuck in the didgeridoo in a bazooka and they wouldn't have taken it from him <laughs> you know what i mean so that bazooka. but it's just kind of a that's the intro thing yeah. <laughs> uh, i have it here that mike ness is up for best dressed we uh, we always try and keep track of what everyone's wearing he's like he's doing the all black cowboy hat thing it's a classic look it's not like so over the top however the pants that he has on are like jinko's so that yeah that, that kind of uh i'm not sure i don't know if me. i
3: if i go with it there you're, he's you're, got you're this, not going there he has that like the really frilly kind of tuxedo undershirt type thing. Right. Well, it's like uh, a Western shirt. Yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's a little prom. Yeah. It's a bit prom. prom Well,
1: you know, it, it, it uh, it is what it is, (laughs) I I, I, I guess. So, you know, to, uh, to, uh, you know, we agree to disagree on on the Mike (laughs) Ness outfit ordeal. Okay. I'm wrong. (laughs) But, uh, so, you know, the set overall, it's, it's like fairly unremarkable. There are some decent, you know m- moments like like we said there's a lot of covers in there he covers bob dylan he covers johnny cash uh, he mm-hmm. complains at one point that he was not asked to be part of the big johnny cash tribute concert that was uh going on at the uh. time he <laughs> vocalizes that makes that very clear uh the the drummer's wearing gloves there's only a couple dudes on stage he's got a, a steel guitar guy um and you know it, it's a very just like punk western thing you know it's gets cow punk
3: yeah, the the drummer wearing gloves, I definitely noticed that, and that that threw me off. I mean, that seems like such a technical thing that like your uh, Prague jazz fusion drummer, or maybe your like really technical metal drummer would be doing, is like needing gloves. I mean, they look they look like like baseball gloves, like they're really like right. heavy duty.
2: Well, it, it was hot there, right? So oh, his it was hands, crazy hot. His hands there. were yeah. slippery. Yeah, I mean. It? It's just
1: it's a strange look. I I'm sure that it's like
3: very utilitarian. Well, he's got like
1: a kind of like a bowler shirt, like gamble, like gamblers kind of like dad rock shirt yeah. as well. You know, so like there's those, that. Those
2: were big it. back then, right? Those big kind of bowling shirt things. Right. Well,
1: and again, that that comes back to uh, the next big movement that that we're going to be getting into later. Uh, in this, So, you know, there, there's a couple I- interesting things uh, to <laughs> included in this. Like, for instance, he says that he doesn't play a lot of happy songs. And he seems very too cool for school. And, you know, I don't play a lot of happy songs. Yeah. But uh, it's Woodstock, so. Uh, you know, it's like that's how he talks kind of the whole thing. It seems kind of forced. Like, if yeah. he was still a heroin addict, then I'd be like, oh, well, he's a heroin addict. But to be clean as long as he wasn't, like, starting a business and, like, being, like, really into country and, like, cutting your teeth on, like. A respected genre of music and playing these standards, you know, you'd like, come on, show a little respect. Pep up a little bit. Um, And the turnout is pretty decent. The crowd, I mean, it's a big crowd, you know what I mean? Especially for how hot it was and especially for being the West stage on the last day. Um, I mean, one of the survivors we had on Pony, she was front and center for that with a big sign asking Mike Ness to marry her. Mm -hmm. uh, It's the one act that she actually went to go see. So there was, you know, he had that fan base. I mean, he was big enough to fucking be on Woodstock 99 again. You know what I mean? For all the shit that we talk about, any band that played, bottom line is they were fucking huge. And, you know, that that goes there. Uh, he also says he, he brings up the brown acid moment from the original yeah. Woodstock in his own little too cool for school yeah. way. I feel like anyone who
3: does do that, that I mean, that's just such a kind of grunt. Like, oh, don't take the brown acid. It's it's a dad joke.
2: It's well, <laughs> Mike Ness is a good 10 years older than anybody else playing here for the most part. Right. He yeah, must be, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So he's a square. 70s, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a cool dad. I mean, well, how how old was Fred Durst when this thing was 20, 28 Oh, maybe probably, probably younger than that. No, yeah. no.
3: He I, I I was reading about this. He was probably yeah like 27, 28. That's, okay, that's the thing is he was a little old for like how juvenile the songs were. <laughs> like the songs. <laughs> like I think he wrote "Rollin" when he was like thirty two.
1: Well, dude, that's when you're um, rolling, dude. He yeah. was rolling in it. You know All his life experiences But the brown acid
3: The quote And then Okay and it does And again I mean he was You know A rehabbed, Reformed heroin addict But he uses The brown acid Joke As a segue Into being like
1: Don't take drugs Don't take drugs We're just gonna listen to it it Really quick We'll we'll, we'll just play it People there's some bad Brown acid Going around All day If you start to feel strange, grab a hold of your neighbor and kindly beat the shit out of him. You will surely have a good trip. No, that's not true. I don't want to encourage drugs. I wrote a song about the perils of life as a junkie. I wanted to write a song which showed which way the wind really blew. None of this William Burroughs glamorizing shit. So, yeah, it is a very just you know don't but by the way i don't i don't condone uh dr- drug use out there at woodstock 99. yeah no, was, i'm gonna play a little bit of a bob Dylan song
3: now and he talks about the uh, he's like don't that over william burroughs shit
1: oh my god dude. So. yeah it's ridiculous yeah because fucking you know he probably wasn't doing drugs he, he wasn't doing them correctly <laughs> you know if they ruin your life you weren't doing them correctly you, uh, you either overdid it or you did the wrong ones too fast. Um, in the crowd, the camera, you know, as it does, it pans to the crowd. You see a guy holding up a yellow Teletubby that has a cigarette fixed in its mouth. And someone just like crudely wrote Woodstock 99 on this thing. And the fact that there was a Teletubby on the grounds, like doesn't get more 99 than that. Yeah. And uh, the fact that it was defaced, it doesn't get more Woodstock 99 than mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember the yellow one's name. Was it Poe? It's not Tinky Winky. Everyone knows Tinky Winky. God, I know. I I, I can't remember, but, I mean, why should I know what the Yellow Teletubby's name was? Actually, I should know. That's my thing, right? Uh, Anyway, so, yeah, in the cool country phase again, it it was the route a lot of punk rockers took. And, uh, yeah, he plays the Johnny Cash song after mentioning that they didn't want him. Uh, to do it, which like yeah, of course not. I'm sure there was like huge, huge, huge acts like I'm sure Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks yeah. was doing it. You know what I mean? Randy uh, Travis, Randy Travis, yeah, all anybody, fucking Chris Isaac, like even. You know what I mean? Um, and it, it seems like this could have been a last minute booking, but looking back at some of the flyers and stuff, he was listed on the on the original lineup and was yeah. printed on the merch. So well, no,
3: and he had this album out, this whole solo album out. So I think he was like touring it and promoting it right pretty heavily at the time. Right. Oh, right. there is there is one other quote I noticed. Kind of relates a little nerdy inside joke to us. Oh, Let's hear yeah. this real quick.
1: I'm seeing we got some survivors out there in the crowd. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
3: So there you go, right? There's like a little, you know, little well, We had one of those there. survivors
1: on the show, right? Right. Well, he was talking about one of the people that he we was, had on the show, and was predicting survivor. the
3: future of this podcast. Yeah,
1: I wish that I could say that that's where we got the idea to call them survivors, but we did not. We just called them that because they fucking survived this disaster movie <laughs> that we're we're getting through. So at one point, of course, you see the uh, the, the inevitable shoulder titties be, being shown, but uh, this time, no no gropes, thank God. Um, then the camera zooms in on top of a trailer where you see a couple that are naked, like a dude and a chick, and they're kind of just standing around. And Then it pans back to that infamous booth from after the Guster set when the two naked women were on top and the whole swarm of dudes were taking pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, there's more naked women on top of it. And again, and I guess they just had the perfect just, view of that with the pay-per-view cameras from the uh-huh. West stage because you'd never see that on the East stage. But again, they were over a mile apart from each other. So you wouldn't be seeing that stuff. And then we also just got an email from a guy that said that uh, he sent me a, like a bunch of pictures of his pictures. And he said that they were selling disposable cameras upwards of $25 a piece uh, on the grounds there. So for 20, like that's like almost like a dollar a picture. It's just like anything goes. Yeah, pretty much. It's like here, here's a pencil, hundred bucks, whatever. Right. You know. Um. Then he plays a, a you know, he asks anyone want to hear a Social Distortion song. He plays Ball and Chain. Uh. Overall, the set it sounds pretty good. There's no like major flubs or anything. It does look miserably fucking hot outside. Right. Um. But oh, all in all, that's that's the set. Y- you know. It is what it uh, is. Yeah. But he ends early. And right.
3: Thank thank god for that because then we get some really good stuff yeah when because like we were saying with the pay-per-view they're just filming constantly so if your set ends early now all of a sudden they're just scanning the crowds you know looking for something to put on the screen
1: and none of the people knew that they were gonna like that there's probably like a million people at home watching them like put sunscreen on or like Mm -hmm. dig through their bag for their pipe or yeah. whatever. And then they also show all the stuff that was going on on stage in between bands. Just like clearing which, the
3: bands, clearing the stage. Right, which I thought know. was
1: kind of interesting because they're, all the band's gear are all on uh, these slidable risers. So mm-hmm. they just kind of pull everything off the stage. The next band's comes out. I guess that's standard, but I hadn't seen it yet. So I was like, oh, OK, that's mm-hmm. how the breakdown and stuff happened on stage. Right. Um, and then uh, Raspy voice announcer number two, uh, Lil Raspy, uh, Rick Voss, he comes out to do some bookkeeping and uh, you know just to handle some little side issues here. And he tries to find... Some lost kids' parents, uh, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe the parents are trying to find the kids. I don't know. Well, we'll take a listen really quick.
0: A time, yeah? <laughs> I can't even talk. Hey, we have some lost kids. Let me make this announcement. Lost kids. So listen to this. Jim and Doug Tybersky. find brother. By Center TV, Big Screen, West Stage. Jim and Doug, Fine Brother, by Big Screen TV, West Stage. The best
1: fucking stage at Woodstock, huh?
3: Yeah, that's how you had to do it back in the day. You just had to make an announcement on the PA. Yeah,
1: meet me on the East Stage right by the medic tent. (laughs) Please. Like, can you imagine? But also, I just imagine these two, two kids, like, okay, during Offspring, we're fucking ditching them. Right. I. Either like, you the, know, and we're going to go do Woodstock. So yeah. like, They're just like standing around smelling weed, like getting all antsy. They're like, come on. fuck!" But also I could just be talking about like eight year olds that are absolutely terrified that somehow got separated. Right. Cause dad like takes them to go see corn. He's like, hang on to my belt loops, kids. <laughs> and, like Next thing you know, they're just like torn away. Ah! Uh, but yeah, so I, that, that was kind of interesting thing. And the people find station at Woodstock 99, we've seen some pictures of this now from uh, some survivors that sent it. They are, insane I mean it is flooded with people some people like after the first or second day they just stayed around the people find tent for the rest of the, the rest of the time because they were so afraid that they would just get more lost and more lost. And it's people with, like, signs that's like, haven't seen my girlfriend since Thursday. And it's like, (laughs) buddy, I got bad news for you, dude. (laughs) Like, I don't think you're going to find her. And, like, there's just these huge bulletin boards with, like, all these just completely desperate notes and some notes that are just like, fuck you, you left me. Like, I'll see you at home or, like, have fun getting a ride. And, like, you see all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, the pay-per-view cameras then just start randomly zooming into the crowd, and again, it's it's just people hanging out, putting on sunblock. Uh, no one knew that they were being watched, so no one's doing anything. Um, they do catch a a shot of a woman wearing like a watermelon like headdress, uh, which is kind of weird. And then uh, they raffle off a VW bug. Yep. Yeah, yeah, from the stage. I guess they were selling <laughs> tickets for for that courtesy of a VW. Those uh,
2: cars were everywhere. Back yeah, well, then, it was a when big when they came out.
1: Yeah, it was a big one. They came with like a fake flower on the dash.
3: You have like a, you got that '60s '69 revival. With,
1: yeah, with exactly. It's Woodstock, baby. Yeah. It's Woodstock. Um, that that VW bug was won by. Uh, this is a deep fact. Gary Eberly and his ticket number, the winning number. In case you want to go back in time to Woodstock '99 <laughs> and win this bug, you need ticket number 641122. If you have sixty four eleven twenty two, you just want a VW bug, Gary Everly, come on up here. That's thorough
3: research right there.
1: Yes, that, you won't hear that on any of the fucking knockoff Woodstock podcasts that have been popping up. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome for doing all the fucking work for you already, <laughs> and there's still so much more to be done. And then... <laughs> This is a this is a nice thing. This like, is, the, the is the best part about Mike Ness set. Yes, this is the best part. And it's also I would say a high point for the Woodstock '99 festival in general. If yes. you want to talk about '69 vibes, we have an onstage marriage proposal which doesn't go viral. As in, she said yes. You know, it wasn't like a no thing that everyone boos. And then of course, Rick Voss has to be like, "Can I make out with her?" Like yeah. Jesus Christ! Like just like you have to ruin everything. But let's listen to this uh, onstage marriage proposal.
0: Yeah, right here. What's your name? This is Todd. Say hi to Todd. And and what's your name? This is Dawn. Todd wants to talk to Dawn. Dawn, for two and a half years, I've known you my soulmate. I want to tell you in front of the world, in front of God and everybody, I want to spend the rest of my life with you for eternity. Will you do me the honor of being my wife? Yes. Come on. Sorry, can I take a picture with you guys? Oh please! L- wait, let me make out with her. You know, would have been, you know, would have been funny if <laughs> she said, "Get the fuck out of here." <laughs> let me see the ring. Oh, that's a nice ring, man. You watch Home Shopping Network too, huh?
1: It's nice. It's nice. It's a nice thing. And uh, I guess uh, John Sher had said uh, during the first day that there was a baby that was born there. Oh, yeah, we, and we mentioned that, too. Yeah, there, there was a, a baby that was born there, and I'd love to get that baby on the show. It's like, goo. Uh, what is your
3: memory of Woodstock?
1: Yeah, uh, it was very uh, traumatic. Uh, I remember being very warm. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's the same as a lot of people had. There. I love,
3: at the though, at the very, very end of that engagement, because that's really close to right when the um, the, the – like the feed cuts off for that video and uh Voss the the stage uh, MC uh you can hear him saying to the mic he says this guy's gonna get more fucking pressed than me I've been up here for three days and yeah he's like, and he's probably
1: right
0: motherfucker I've been up here three days this guy's gonna get more fucking pressed than me <laughs>
1: yeah like I'm sure that some newspaper mentioned that uh so now we're gonna jump over to the east stage now the the main stage we had uh, Willie Nelson before now we have the brian setzer orchestra this is about one thirty to 2 30 in the afternoon uh brian setzer is a huge star uh still relevant still playing he's won several you know grammys he's uh you know platinum selling artist born in 1959 in uh, Massapequa, uh new york i probably butchered that Massapiqua. one Massapequa. there you go thank you adam this is why you're here today uh, Brian always had a fascination with jazz and older types of contemporary music, you know, like swing and all that good stuff. Uh, he and his brother Gary started a band called the Tomcats, and in 1980, they changed the name to the Stray Cats. Gary left, and uh, Brian added double bassist Lee Rocker and drummer Slim Jim Phantom, who ended up uh, teaching drums at the place I took drum lessons at when I was a kid. like taught there for a couple months and i would just see this dude come in that was like rail thin wearing creepers and had like a pompadour and i was like that guy's fucking cool man (laughs) it's like i want drum lessons from that fucking guy but uh looking back i think i'm glad i took lessons from like the like cuban latin drum fucking virtuoso guy that like taught me how to read music and stuff and not uh slim jim phantom of the slim jim
2: phantom plays drums standing up
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm sure that would have been a whole thing. He'd be like, so first off, kid, kick that stool over. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> That's how the cats do it, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And we're going to play on trash cans, baby. And we're going to eat fish in one bite and pull the skeleton out. That's uh, Yeah, that's like kind of the, their whole thing. Uh, and they introduced like this 1950s fascination that happened in the, in the 80s where all of a sudden, you know, pompadours were in for like, so, you know, some of the alt crowd and, and creepers and this whole kind of rockabilly throwback look. And that... Fascination that 80s or 50s-tinged pop culture thing would stay around for the entire decade, even though the Stray Cats broke up in uh, 1984. And, uh, you know, their, their big hit was, of course, the Stray Cats Strut. In 1984, though, after they, they broke up, he joined the Honey Drippers, led by Robert Plant, uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. And then later, he would start the Brian Setzer Orchestra, generally doing it in, in small clubs and stuff until he kind of crafted the full sound and then broke through. And in 1997, released his album, The Dirty Boogie, which won two Grammy Awards. And this would be the dawn of the great swing revival of the 1990s. Wow. Where, I mean, there's a lot of things going into that. It, it has its roots in San Francisco where, like, all of a sudden, all these, you know, it, what happens is when you're a punk – and you grow up you either go towards country or you start doing this fucking you know 50s rockabilly like swing type fucking daddy old thing you know what yeah. i mean but you still have all the tattoos but now you're wearing like slacks mm-hmm. and like you know you still have a chain wallet but it's different it's dress up it's cosplay yeah 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 you're just playing
2: dress up which yeah.
3: is i mean a big part of punk too so yeah yes. it's the same but, yeah completely. but it, it is it's far more mellow Right. You know,
2: right. It has a bit of a sense of humor about itself. Punk is so serious and you can't do anything or whatever. The swings, the daddy stuff kind of has more of a like, all right, we know this is silly. Like, we know this isn't the 50s. Like, right. Let's, yeah. Let's drink some tiki drinks and, and watch the Munsters. Yeah. Or, go to the Brown
1: know. Derby and, yeah. you know, uh, do like dinner <laughs> swing dance stuff.
3: Yeah. Um, I just remember that Smash Mouth, obviously, of all-star fame. They kind of were like a swing revival band like a they were like a retro and then they just kind of changed that or tweaked that formula enough to make the song all-star which doesn't really sound like a (laughs) swing it doesn't really have that like retro vibe but if you like listen to their early music (laughs) (laughs) which i have done before you get, so you're, uh, well, you then get that they, bowling. We're, we're out. at the bowling
1: alley. The, the bad boys of the swing revolt. they didn't want to do it the right way. They, you know, <laughs> they, they didn't want to do it the way all Cherry Pop and Daddies were doing it. They weren't going on the Zoot Suit Riot. They were going to create a new uh, style of pop music and become the biggest thing of kind of the next uh, two years. But uh, he's still actively playing, uh, has a wildly successful career. He's you know still sells out whatever venues he plays in, has a giant orchestra up. So the set. Now, this is one of the most ambitious stage setups that there has been at the entire festival minus James Brown. There's over 17 musicians on stage. They all have their own little boxes there behind, their own little mics. They all have sheet music. There's uh, the drummer. There's a timpani player. There's a full horn section. It's it's there's you know the, of course the the classic double bass player, and then there's giant the uh, giant pair of dice on stage, yeah. <laughs> and then a giant stack of poker chips, which is just the most Brian Setzer Orchestra right. thing. And it's like they're a
3: bandstand, you know, like where they're all, it's like it, it looks like when it's you watching stand, yeah. an old, you know, a jazz band on on TV. Right. You know, in like the 50s. Or right. So. And but they all
1: they all have matching shirts, too.
2: In the 50s, though, they would never have dice and poker chips. Right. It's so, too controversial. Ex- it's too over the top. It's
3: too much. Yeah. That's this is the 90s. They're t- they're just kind of you pick and choose. Yeah. And just the dice just.
1: Well, and also a major part of the swing revival movement was the movie Swingers. Which is, that was I, a big
2: and the uh, mask. And, oh, and yeah. the
1: mask too. Oh, definitely an unspoken hero of the swing revival. Oh my God, yeah, the mask. Wow, definitely a swing revival movie for fucking sure. I mean, the dance scenes, the, right. the, the big yellow suits, the hats, uh, the the gangsters, and of course the, the lingo. Fatale, the lingo, yeah, Daddyo, all, all that good stuff. And uh, but Swingers is a bro movie. It's like very like debaucherous. Like let's get laid kind of kind of a deal and i feel like that plays such a major part in the swing revival is like the there's no like gentleman like oh my lady like let me like man i have this dance it's just like we can go out and get some fucking chicks then i go to the fucking derby dude Put i mean Brian the bride sets
3: orchestra is it's like 17 dudes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i feel like the way they're dressed and it's kind of like what you're saying where it's like if you go back more to the appropriate time, you know, people, they'd be wearing like some crazy, nice, crisp suits or something. But you look at the... They're Setzer a bowling team. Yeah, they look like a bowling team or like, you know, like pimp my hot tub or something. Like, it's like... <laughs> used just, car salesman. Yeah, they just have these like black, like starchy collared shirts on. And it's like the tiny. They're dressed like,
1: like a
2: dude that would get dressed up specifically to go see Brian Setzer. But That's they're true. in it. Right, uh, so it, it's it's just this vague like nostalgia for a past that's just like anything from the past all thrown together. Right. No, no historical accuracy, no context or anything.
3: Just right. you know, because like
2: yeah, that's true. The barnsats music isn't actually swing music. Swing music is like din din din. You know, right. This is more jump blues, kind of like Louis Jordan. Yeah, but it's just that's true. Like, right. All yeah, just movie thrown movie. in
3: rockabilly's thrown in there. Yeah, and then like just they will do past-esque. like some. Right, right. That's no, that's that is true. Yeah,
1: I know it ain't new. Yeah, no, that's that, that's <laughs> about all I got. But Brian Setzer himself is wearing a suit that's uh, he's got these big creepers on, and his suit is purple and it's got white stars all over it. It's glittery. The jacket eventually uh, you know, comes off, and he's got an undershirt on, and, and his little you know, bleached pompadour, uh, what have you. There's also some pictures of Brian Setzer backstage that I saw where he's drinking Budweiser and he's signing this giant poster that all, all the acts signed. I'm sure that, I mean, fuck that motherfucker belongs in the Smithsonian, but, uh, it just looks so grimy and gritty. And it's just like Brian Setzer, like, you know, just cruising around in the undershirt. It's, uh, it, it's not a good look. Uh, but the set is introduced by Jenna Elfman of Dharma and Greg
2: fame. She says that the Brian says orchestra is her favorite band. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. No, we're we're just gonna
1: listen to it really quick because she is super stoked and she's dressed like they're the like they're her favorite band. She's wearing like the capris and the little bandana in her hair and she's totally hasn't. She probably just got there. She definitely just right. got there. I don't think she introduces any other act. We haven't. So I mean, they have... really did try to have as many celebrities as possible. That's why we had like Paul Cusamano, like whoever they could get. <laughs> You know, that they, yeah, they were Paul getting. Paul but, but Whoever Ray, he is. Right. That, that was a huge, huge show. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra being introduced by. Well, first, of course, she's introduced by Brother Weiss. But let's take a listen to that. Okay, my favorite
0: band of all time, Brian Setzer Orchestra, will be here in just a few minutes. So you better get your asses ready to start dancing. Have fun!
1: unbridled enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and i love how she says get ready to dance like it's like have you seen what people have been doing at this concert (laughs) like what do you like the only dancing that's happening is in the rave tent and it's literally just a way to grind on people like it's not (laughs) it's not uh, actual dancing but at certain points there are very short glimpses of people doing like pseudo swing dance moves like there's couples dancing one guy gives a girl a twirl yeah but they're like like covered in mud they're covered in mud it looks like it's
3: like a very wookiee vibe
1: it would have been funny if they like, saved like their good suits and like de- dancing dresses like in plastic like waiting to go see Brian Setzer. We're like we're going to fucking set the crowd on fire with our dance moves, dude.
3: But also at this point I think uh brother Wheeze kind of lets into he's like, "Jesus, my voice." Like yeah. he even <laughs> just says it on the mic. Like my voice
1: sounds terrible. Like it's like, dude, I like he started like that. He started I mean, a guy off like worse, that but, says, but his voice like, is terrible. Yeah.
3: But it's when you go past the rasp and you just start actually you're like bah, bah, bah. <laughs> and then you're like the, silent? The yeah, it's just air. <laughs>
1: your your vocal cords just don't catch any of the air that's oh my pushing God, it's through. Like open. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's that's definitely what happened. And you know the the throughout the set, the fans do seem pretty into it. Uh, it's a huge huge crowd. There's it's big I mean, applause. It's
3: executed very well. Yeah, they, there's they no do play really clubs well. there's no flubs for a there's... 17 piece band. No, there's no even feedback in the beginning, like with Bush or something, which it's is crazy. Up, right, right off how do you the get, bat, how do you get 17 guys?
1: How do you nail a, a band that has over 17 people, but you fuck up a band that has three? Yeah. You I, mean, know? <laughs> it's like-
3: I, I think that it, it's just, it tends almost always, if it's like a more old school act that's been around a little bit longer, they have almost no sound issues. And all the bands that, you know, were starting to come up, the Limp Bizkits, the Offspring, like even though Offspring's been around for a while, but those bands that are starting to have their big moment. It, almost all of those bands seem to have like these major sound flubs,
1: right? Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah, and, and I think it's like early in the day too. Like, like they, I don't know, they might have been able to get a sound check in at mm-hmm. some point, maybe early. Yeah. Um, I doubt it though. I I doubt that. that but I mean, that. he plays
3: it. You know, he plays it really well. He's really good at guitar. He's really good at guitar. It's, um, but you know, it's 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 not offensive music it, you know it's not no say, it's like, kind of strange folk or what you know no, some of yeah. these bands are like i don't want to listen to this anymore but it's it's also yeah it's not
2: it's not my thing but it's at it's least entertaining thing. though yeah if they're putting on some sort of show they bothered to get as horrible as the set pieces are right they, at least yeah. it's something different they're doing their thing
3: yeah, right, right. And, and he is putting forth the conviction and enthusiasm he believes where, in it where it seems that people are like yeah You know, let's go for it. Hey, Brian Setzer. Not bad. Right. We're not at Woodstock so much as we're at like a, you know, like a neighborhood like barbecue blues festival uh, for like a couple hundred. Right. And like some parking lot of like a burger joint.
1: Especially like in Southern California, they have tons of like hot rod slash tattoo expos. Right. And like they'll have like bands play where it's like the Coffin Rockers Mm -hmm. or like Snake boots or like i just made both of those but it's like that's kind of the the general thing and like it has some girl that's like completely just covered every inch of her body in tattoos with like her hair done up with like a bandana tied in it and like yeah. like winking or you know what i mean that's and brian setzer is like the king of that he started that aesthetic back in, with the stray cats and has evolved into he definitely this pushed it massive yeah. you know orchestra yeah um you know but- but That's it, 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 it is, is what it is, and he plays you know a lot of covers along with uh, he does stray, T- stray cat strut, but he also plays the Pink Panther theme for a long mm-hmm. time. They open with the theme from Hawaii Five O, right, which is it's just strange, and they do Sleepwalk from Santo and Johnny as well as some swing standards. Uh, so overall, you know, sound is great, uh, and again, which is wild considering how bad they fucked up other bands. But the set ends without incident. Yeah, there, there's really nothing nothing else to good for you to go in there and we're going to find that with some of these day three bands because they were really trying to play it cool on on day three they really didn't want shit to get out of hand that's why they put like all the really gnarly bands on on you know at the end of day one and all of day two so then like everyone could just like relax and have a good time for the last day even though we know that that was a right empty effort There,
3: there are still some some pretty heavy new metal bands that play on sunday but this first section with setzer mike ness willie nelson i mean all this stuff is very subdued
1: yeah including this this next band over here on the Uh, west stage yeah this was one of the rougher ones to watch this is on the level of a strange folk for me even though at the time they were out i was a fan i did have their cd we have canada's own our lady Peace. our
3: lady Peace. yeah Yeah. i mean i had their cd when i was 12 or whatever and i think i saw them perform maybe in like 2000 or 2001 and you saw them as well, right, Adam? No. No, you didn't. This band okay. I'm
2: not I'm not even sure. Are you sure they actually played Woodstock ninety nine? No, we're we, positive. We, okay, because have, I watched I have watched the set. I have no memory of it. Yeah. It was so little of it. Yeah. Was was remarkable or it was so hard to retain anything about this band. I I would say that this is
3: this is a quintessential, like late nineties. Alter, like capital A alternative rock band. They're in line like, with
2: Bush. That's I remember right, the
3: yeah. name. But definitely not as popular as Bush, though it was sort of like the Tragically Hip where they were incredibly popular in Canada. Right. Well, um, that's because
1: of the Canadian content laws. Right. Um, but also because, you know, you just root for your hometown guys.
3: Right. They So they had a, some of these songs. Like this, this might be – this isn't so – Immediately recognizable as other big hits, but Superman's Dead, Clumsy, One Man Army. I'm getting blank looks from both you no, guys. No, I know Superman's uh, Dead. Why? So, yeah, yeah, That's somewhere like out whining. there. Oh, okay. Somewhere out yeah. there was <laughs> like, after Woodstock. That was like Depression. The, kind of like the really big one. Um, they, but yeah, that goes into you know his voice. Uh, it's a big trademark thing. What we're going to talk about his voice during the set. Uh, But I would I was reading about how a lot of people described his voice as unrivaled, which is like a pretty that's like a pretty like big compliment. Um, But they kind of have this. Well, yeah, but if you're the James oh, Brown played
2: <laughs> unrivaled.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, dude, you can't I would just say, yeah, no one else sings like that, dude. I wouldn't say it's unrivaled. I would say. Yeah, no one else does that. Yeah, he has a,
3: <laughs> he has a distinct voice. Distinct. Uh, signature, unique. Rain might My, Maida, I think. Um but you know, it's just kind of that thing of I don't know, it's like if you really if you really want to get into just the history of music in a very broad sense, then yeah, go go for it. You know, I did like some of their songs at the time. The I the one piece of trivia i found that i did find very interesting is that their song whatever was used uh, as uh you know infamous wrestler crispin was theme song for wwe from 2002 until 2007 which you know he
1: benoit was from canada i was about to say he must be Canadian. yeah yeah yeah, french french canadian
3: but that was his song until you know his murder suicide of his family yes so which
1: is absolutely crazy if you don't know the story of chris benoit he was a pretty well-known wrestler i mean he was with wwf and then later wwe and uh one night in a fit of rage and depression he murdered his wife and children and then hung himself in the basement Uh, When it was discovered that he had died, uh, they were actually airing an episode of Raw, the 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 big wrestling show that they do live, and so they quickly threw together like a tribute clip. They didn't know the details; they just knew Chris Benoit was pronounced dead. So they threw up this video where it's like, "What a great guy!" and it's like him and his family, and it's Mm -hmm. all of his best moves. And then like the next day, all the news broke, and the like you can pretty much find every episode of Raw ever mm -hmm. on the WWE app. They have all of them up there. It's really insane. But there's certain things that they, they have vaulted. There's, there's a couple videos, like, for instance, the death of the wrestler Owen Hart when he right. fell from a, a lighting mm-hmm. fixture during pay-per-view. And this episode of Raw where they're, like, singing Chris Benoit's praise is, is completely removed from the history of, of the show. So that is crazy. And they also did one of those MTV interviews, like, all the bands had to do. And they mentioned that they were there to see Limp Bizkit, and they saw Rage and Metallica, and they were just, like, they were freaked out. Yeah, for sure. They they talk about it like how we talk about it. They're like, yeah, the aftermath was insane. And then I wanted to see Rage just for the spectacle of it. And it was absolutely terrifying. And then Metallica played and we we're like, we should go. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, you know, even those guys are saying it. But yeah. they, they got to play on like the easiest stage. But yeah, their set itself, though, getting into their set. It's,
3: it's, it's whatever. A, it's,
1: something's off about it. I
3: mean, it's I, I, I'm try- so I did. They had an album coming out that year. Called happiness is a fish that you can catch, and <laughs> I'll have to remember that they had that. finished recording that, and so apparently that they were playing a ton of new songs from that, and maybe that is what it is, or but it's like his voice, which we've already talked about, how it seems very distinct on its own. It, it's
1: distinct in the same way like Billy Corgan's voice is, right?
3: Almost. And and he actually got a bunch of uh, comparisons to Billy Corgan in which uh, Billy Corgan at one point said he was going to call Our Lady Peace and thank them for keeping their old music alive.
1: <laughs> oh, so, my God, dude. But Slay I al- Right, but also
3: Our Lady Peace, for a brief three-year period from 98 to 2000, they had their own, like, version of Lollapalooza called Somersault. And it was this traveling, like, alternative rock festival. And Smashing Pumpkins was on this tour.
1: Nah. So...
3: I don't know what's going on there. Billy Corgan loves to, you know, make the news. Yeah, he loves to talk shit. You're quick to
1: take that check, bud.
3: But uh, he does have that sound to it. The only thing, it's just, it sounds really off. It, It doesn't sound like he's just totally missing notes, but it doesn't really sound like he's hitting the notes.
1: It's just like he's doing a voice. It's like someone's playing in the band doing an impression of him. Yeah. Is what it sounds like.
3: And so that mixed with just, so he kind of does a thing where he's very nasally and then he's like jumping between like
1: falsettos
3: a lot. And it's, so it's just, it's hard to, we'll play like a
1: little sample of just like, yeah, the the best, worst. Let's do a little sample of his voice. We can
3: find. Yeah. So, I mean, granted, the only thing I can say is just how, We've seen through them the mystery tape when they're in the crowd for offspring, because obviously we've talked about how terrible his voice sounded during the offspring performance, and how when you actually are watching it from the video in the crowd, it kind of blends better. Right. And so my my guess there is that for the crowd and stuff, it's it's blending a little bit better. Right. Because what we're so hearing is the pay per view. We're it, hearing it's like all a direct of, feed right. of like the the soundboard. Right. Probably mixed with. You know, pretty on the fly. It's just like
1: recording dry. But it's not his, like you're not hearing it in a big open space. It's not bouncing off people. It doesn't have you know any of the uh, nuances of a live performance when you hear it through the pay per view because you're just getting lined in into the mixer. So right. you're not even hearing it through the speakers that everyone else heard it through. You're just hearing it like what, what like what's. But, being but regardless, it's sounds just, so dry I don't
3: like. It's hard. It's really hard to listen to.
1: It's not good. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good example of uh of that kind of thing happening the so, pay-per-view thing.
2: Sometimes you just have a bad set, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just don't you don't play your best.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're definitely that that. all of the above. Yeah. I mean, I did a bad also bad band with a bad set. I did also <laughs> dig up that. So apparently at one point, you know, shortly after this cuz they they got pretty popular uh from right around before this to now. The, there was like maybe 97 to 2002 It's like, you know, they they had a bunch of hits like they were on the radio. And, uh, but around the end of that, they kicked their guitar player out of the band, and the lead singer, he said that, uh, the guitar player, he said, I'm sure he, you know, is destined for greatness. It's just not with six strings. God uh, damn. Our Lady Peace is a history with zingers. That's just like, that's rough. That's, that's pretty tough. That is tough. That's, that's the best we can do for for them.
1: That's it. That's all. That's, that's Our Lady Peace. So, now, we're going to do our Emerging Artist Roundup. Uh, we'll check out what was happening in the hangar during this time, which is, you know, again, this is early afternoon. We're not going any later than 3.30, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the afternoon here. So, first up, we had uh, the Super Suckers.
2: I've seen them, too, before. Oh, okay, perfect. And I've seen uh, Brian Setzer. I didn't mention that. I've seen him live, too. Oh, okay. So- I talk a lot of trash, but I've actually, you know— these would be if I was at Woodstock '99. These would be all the bands I would have been seeing.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally.
2: Yeah. yeah, we we both said we'd go see them uh, for sure. So, Super Suckers
1: formed in Tucson, Arizona in 1988. They are considered a country-leaning rock band. They moved to Seattle and were eventually signed to Sub Pop Records, where they released their first big album, The Smoke of Hell, in 1992. They performed as be- the backing band for Willie Nelson on The Late Show before. They played with you know, such notable artists as Steve Earle, Kelly Deal of The Breeders, and Eddie Vedder of... Uh, Pearl Jam fame, Uh and another Eddie Vedder thing that they were kind of involved with was they worked to help free the West Memphis Three, which is the notorious story of the the three Southern youths who were – blamed and charged for the murder of three young boys because they wore Metallica t-shirts and were the weird ones in town. They've since been released uh, Uh almost, you know, 30 years after, after the trial, but they were part of that whole thing. There was a lot of artists involved in that, Uh, you know, Eddie Vedder heading them up but the Dixie chicks were also a part of that. Johnny Depp was involved with that. And their sound is kind of a a mix of like hard rock with punk and then country. It's not terrible. So it's, it's again, that the Mike
3: Ness sort of daddy. Daddy. Daddy, sometimes it's Daddy
1: O. And I, I, I would say it's, it's definitely harder. Daddy. I mean, at least the early stuff that I was checking out because they had, you know, they've had a ton of albums and they still play these, you know, today. Mm-hmm. But uh, the earlier stuff, at least, is a lot harder than than all those guys. And like well, when they bring in the country stuff, it's like over like speed chugging, yeah. and like double bass almost, you know.
3: And, th- and then their singer, he's gonna he gets on stage with Willie. Nelson Yeah, he
1: came on stage with Willie Nelson, so. who, who we had talked about. Uh, So then we have the Stormy Mondays. They are a self-described transatlantic Americana folk band from the northern coast of Spain. (laughs) They also claim uh, their big claim to fame is that they were the only band from Spain to play out of Woodstock. Uh, They've released 17 albums and are still active. They played like a blues-heavy style of folk that was based on all the great American heroes of folk and blues, but with tinges of Austrian folk mixed in. They have toured with Slash and Bruce Springsteen, and also NASA chose their song "Sunrise Number One" to be played in space aboard the Endeavor <laughs> space shuttle. Wow! Uh, so That's they're really cool. they're not only transatlantic, they're, they're <laughs> transplanetary. They're they're <laughs> universal, intergalactic, intergalactic, yeah. planetary. Uh. <laughs> yes, uh, a, a great you know intergalactic planetary, a great uh, piece of the '90s that was uh, left out of Woodstock '99. So then we have Big Sugar. And Big Sugar is actually, if you watch the Much Music coverage of Woodstock 99, which is a great watch. It's hilarious. They interview Big Sugar along with Our Lady Peace and Tragically Hip because they're Canadian. So, yeah, they were formed in Canada in 1988. Their singer is also named Gord. Uh, he goes by Gordy, but not to be confused with, you know, the, the singer of Tragically Hip or uh, Tom Green and, and Freddie Got Fingered. or uh, uh, I think there was a, there's a second guy in Tragically Hip named Gord as well. which is is kind of funny. And they began as an improv jazz group, but they later moved towards rock music, although they still kept some elements of jazz, like they kept their sax player, whose name is Mr. Chill. In 1999, they opened for the Rolling Stones when they were in Canada, and they are a platinum-selling band. They definitely emerged, but not in America at all. They're still a huge band in Canada. They disbanded, but they got back for a sold-out reunion tour in 2010, and they kind of like a hard rock sound that's, uh, I don't want to say complimented, because that sounds good, but it's complemented by, like, mellow grooves and kind of almost like a programmed, like, smooth drum beat, but then with, like, the kind of harder guitar. It's super, super 90s. It's kind of like uh-huh. Blur mixed with Sugar Ray uh, mm. and, and a couple other bands uh, in that nature. Big and, Sugar. And, you know... Th- and they also sound like a lot of the other bands that played on the emerging artist stage. I guess that was going to be the next push for the next big sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't have... Oh, you know... But
3: it sounds b- like they... You Smash know-
1: Mouth is also a kind of in this this realm. But yeah. Big Sugar, I would argue, mm-hmm. is a little bit heavier than Smash Mouth.
3: Well, it sounds like they they did go on to do something. They did all right. So they did cool. all right.
2: Yeah. It seems like a lot of these emerging artists that you're talking about did go on to like tour and still be successful and be critically acclaimed. Whereas the biggest artists, Limp Biscuit, Corn, you know, where right. where Feel are they, out they now? Favor. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, a lot mm, of these. This is
3: a particularly good batch. I think a lot of the. the yeah, the, yeah, this, no, yeah. This particular batch of emerging <laughs> artists happens to have had some well, notable last things. Day, so these are the biggest ones. Right. Because some I mean? of the other stuff we've covered, like, absolutely. John Entwistle no, no. is
1: going to be playing on this stage right. today of the who. Right. And I mean, if that Just guy the... hasn't emerged right. by that point, give it up, John. <laughs> yeah. What do you think you're going to be a rock star? <laughs> yeah. But that concludes our uh, second part of our day three coverage. Uh, here at uh, at Podcast 99. We have a whole lot more stuff in store for you. Make sure you check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Dumps. We've been joined today by our buddy Adam Papagan. Thank
2: you for coming in. Can, can I ask you guys much. a question real quick? Yeah, of quick? course. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. at the event, which was great, by the way, you didn't do a Q&A. But, oh, yes. But, yeah, yeah, so yeah. this is a more general Woodstock question. It seems to me that... The contemporary coverage of it all very negative and cynical the bands themselves oh this sucks this isn't woodstock Your now reassessment of it's still like yeah this was a shit show it really sucked mm-hmm. is there anything good besides this show and that event or anything good <laughs> that came out of the festival anyone who has anything positive to say about a it? lot of i mean a, a lot pe- of people. people a lot a of people, people yeah, that went yeah. yeah people will contact us and say
3: that they had like the best weekend of their lives so yeah, like the
1: lady that just hit us up and said uh Oh, she told us our to, podcast was shit. Yeah, the to you, Yeah, it was the best festival I ever went to in my life. Your podcast mm-hmm. is shit. And then she's like, right. you should have me on.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> which is, which is mm-hmm. great. But yeah, we've gotten, I mean, really long-winded emails where people tell us their entire story. And a lot of people walked away from it being like, this was great. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that includes, you know, a lot of women, too. I mean, and, right. and a lot of bands. And I'm sure there's, like, people that worked it that had, like, a great, fun summer. You know? But the thing is, it's overall, you know, I mean... And that's the thing. They destroyed everything, you know what I mean, and set fires, but they were probably having a lot of fun doing it. So I'm sure the people making it such a shit show didn't walk away bummed, you know what I mean? It's everyone that it affected, Mm -hmm. and it's the way it looked from an outside standpoint that's such a terrible thing. Yeah, I think it,
3: it would be very interesting to try and get someone who would just be pretty open to admitting that they maybe were part of some destruction, looting, or... You know, well, lighting something on the fire. The survivor Steve said his yeah.
1: parents and his brothers went and took a little piece of the wall once everything started yeah. happening. So I'm, and I, honestly, statute of limitations for that kind of shit are over. You can definitely come out of the woodwork and tell us about how you and your buddies tried to crack open the ATM only to find out it was empty. Yeah. Uh, you can tell us all that stuff. We're not gonna turn you in.
3: But it's it's there is. I mean, any given music festival, you know, someone's gonna probably have the worst weekend of their life you know so it's just the percentage i would say is of people having a really bad time is a lot higher and the bad time what, that was really bad yeah right. whatever yeah, that yeah, normal yeah, exactly. is you know it's not like know. oh
1: i lost my wallet and then my phone died you know kind of a thing it's like I was the victim of a seriously violent crime. Right. Or, like, I lost, you know, I, all my money. Like, we were miserable when we were staying there. I got sick because there was fucking poop in the water. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so the, there's, yeah, it's the severity, I would say. But no, there when there's like 400,000 people at this thing, like, no, lots and lots of people had a good time. You but know?
3: you bring up a very interesting point. And even this person that commented and was like, I had a great time. You're, you know, you suck or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it did bring up a good point because, yeah, you don't want to uh, – one thing with a lot of coverage of event or festivals this year has been, like, trying to capture – like, re- piggyback off of Firefest.
1: Yeah, Coachella and herpes outbreak.
3: Because of – um. yeah, there was, like, the Miami Ultra where, like, some people got stranded because a shuttle bus schedule messed up, and so they're – you know, they're and trying to like blow a, it up.
1: There was, like, a flood at the governor's ball. Like, it started raining super right. hard, and everyone had to, like, so evacuate. Everyone's,
3: everyone's crying fire and, you know, saying it's like a Fire Fest, and – so it's, it's, yeah, we're trying to figure out the way to just, well, you know we'll you really just say that you can't it's its, say own, that's, it's, you, its own thing.
1: Well, you can't say that something is a Woodstock 99 because it's the Mecca. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you could say Woodstock 99 was like an Altamont, but until Woodstock 99, there hadn't been another thing like Altamont where it was just like a cultural movement that was so big because the biggest stars were there and all the eyes in the world were on it. And then something terrible happened. Mm-hmm. That really hasn't happened like that. You know what I mean? It's like. At Firefest, it probably would have been a totally different story if the festival actually went on. Like, if those kids showed up and had to stay in those, like, nice ass fucking tents compared to what people were staying at at Woodstock 99. Right. And they actually had to go through with going to the festival, it would have been a totally different story. The whole thing is that it was, like, canceled. Right. Y- you know what I mean? So, like, that's why these little things that happen, it's like, oh, it's like Firefest all over again. Cause that's something you can compare to it because it wasn't that big of a deal in the scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you say something's like Woodstock 99, like, it better be really fucking bad, dude, because yeah. you don't know what you're comparing that to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, okay, were people fucking raped? Were, you know, fires set? Where's there, how many millions of dollars in damages were there caused by the people that paid to be there? Right. You know what I mean? That's how you compare something to a Woodstock 99, but. Uh, that's uh yeah i think that that's gonna be it for for today then so uh, i'm ryan lichton here with parks miller and adam papigan again of cool la tours and the asmr talk show uh he's done a lot of fascinating things you should definitely check him out it's, it's great stuff and uh if you went to worked at or played woodstock 99 please contact us at podcast 99 official at gmail.com or on instagram at podcast 99 thanks and we will see you at woodstock